up in, in prayer. <clears throat> Father, we, are, um, we desire to be the church that you want us to be. So as we go through the book of Acts um, and we read about uh, the early church, that you would inspire us to do that, that you would move in our hearts, um, that you would uh, teach us, Lord, to um, in, in each of our own, uh, with each of our own skills, and gifts that you've given us, um, that we would use them to build for your kingdom. So please let your Holy Spirit just have his way here with us today. Open our hearts to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So Acts 14, this is really, um, if this was a movie, it would be the part two of Paul's first missionary journey. His first missionary journey is detailed in Acts 13 and 14, and it took him about a year does anybody know, want to take a guess or a gander? I don't expect anybody really to know this necessarily, but it's always good unless you're uh, studying and seeking it out. But does anybody know what year this would be in Acts 14? How, how long after Jesus rose from the dead? What do you think? It's hard to tell in the book of Acts because it's just one thing after another and you get the feeling like it's just all happening right away. But this is actually 18 years after um, Jesus rose and ascended. Uh, it's A.D. 48, roughly. Which is, which is interesting is that Paul was converted in A.D. 34. So you're looking at um, 14 years it took Paul to be prepared um, for his mission, his calling. But during that 14 years, he was on the potter's wheel being shaped, getting that water poured over him, getting the gospel in, in him. And um, I love that because, you know, we ultimately, when we get, when we feel like we want to have, like God is, he's, we're feeling filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to do for God. And we sometimes can get ahead of God and we have to make sure God leads us. And Acts 13, how did we see God leading Paul? Does anybody remember in the beginning of Acts 13? It was a really neat. The church, uh, laid hands over them. Yeah, so the church, the church laid hands on them, but they it, were called by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, the Holy Spirit. Yeah, set me apart. And so, where do you think God could be let? Could could be you could be right now in that preparation phase in your life for a new a new mission, a new ministry that God's maybe putting on your heart, a new direction. Or you could be at that place where God says, set me apart, Debbie and Hubert, for that work that I have set aside for them or whoever. And so we always have to be ready. And, and we get a sense of that in the Bible to be able to be ready to preach the word of God in season and out of season. You never know when it's going to happen. But we also have to be ready to say, to, to walk the walk, because we all say, hey, we're going to give the Lord our, our life and Lord, wherever you want me to go. Um, but be ready for him to, to, to call you, be ready for him to send you, and also be ready to wait, to wait and be refined, to wait and be prepared and be like Paul. While you're waiting, be in the word, be in prayer, work with your hands, as, as he said, or if you work from home with your fingers. You're typing, right? So, yeah, so, so Paul now, part two, and um, we'll look here. It says, in Iconium, they, oh, so, so after they were, um, 
uh, over here in uh, Antioch, Pisidia, chapter 14 starts in Iconium. Because they, they, at the end of 13, they went to Iconium. And again, where does Paul go? He, he goes right to the synagogue. He has that affinity. <clears throat> and I love what it says here, that he spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed. So we're right here. He spoke in such a manner so that a large number of people believed. What do you think he means by that? You better listen to me or you're going to hell. What do you think it means? Anyone? He spoke in such a manner. Convincing. Convincing. He, he's in the synagogue, right? That's yeah. So he's, I guess, speaking to them in a way that they would understand. How would they, what would they understand, Jerry? What do you think he was talking to them about? Just say Jesus if you don't really know. <laughs> yeah. I think the Old Testament. The Old Testament. Yeah. He was going through the scriptures and God in tandem with the, we're going to talk about this in the sermon, so it's on my head. In the physical world, in the physicality of you, he uses you. He uses your voice. He uses your passion. He uses your knowledge. He uses, the, and, and those things are gifts. Um, as a, um, in, in the acting world, they call it mastering your instrument. And your instrument as an actor is your whole entire body, your whole entire physicality, your voice, your listening, your sight where you're looking, that's the, when you see a really good actor, they use everything that they have, but it's absolutely empty without that direction and vision of the film. An actor can't use their instrument without the power of the vision of the director or the film or whatever you want to call it. But once they have that vision, once they have that endorsement and say, yes, this is where you're going, this is your job, here's the big vision, then they can, they can take everything that they have and they could make that character work. And that's what we have to do as Christians, right? We know the power is the Holy Spirit. We know that it's the word of God that, that quickens people. We know that by faith they hear. But God has given each of you specific gifts. And Paul is using his gift here. He spoke in such a manner. <clears throat> he's not just going through the motions. He's not just going, oh, let go and let God. No, he's using his voice, he's using his knowledge, he's using his inflection, he's using his passion, he's using his zeal, he's using his testimony, he's using everything about himself. And I just love that because that when, that, when those two things meet, the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit in you, that's when people start to get their eyes and their hearts open. So it's really, really neat. And of course, right after, the Jews who disbelieved, verse 2, stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. See, these, <clears throat> these Jew, the Jewish people in the, Old Test, in the New Testament uh, and in the Old Testament, they're very much um, the way that they're portrayed in terms of the, those that didn't believe, those that were preoccupied with 
the you know being the people of God and hating the Christianity, they're always um, they act hypocritical in a lot of ways. Like we saw that last week, where they're saying crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, and uh, but then they want to get the body down in time for the Passover. You know what I mean? They're killing a human being. Forget that they're disbelieving Jesus, but they're violating the law and not giving him a fair trial according to the law, causing people to lie against him. And then, now the Jews, how are they doing that here? How are they being hypocritical here? If the Jews saw a Gentile on the street, they would walk around them so they wouldn't accidentally touch him. But now they're like, Let's, they're, we're going to speak into your life and tell you not to believe in this Jesus. And the Gentiles became embittered. And so therefore, they left? No, it says here in three, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. So again, they turned up the intensity. They had the opposition and they spoke more boldly. That doesn't mean they came at them and wanted to stand up and fight against them, but they stood boldly at what they believed. Yes? You know how uh, there's other spots, and I think in, in the gospel as well, and Jesus says that they don't do, like, shake off the dust and, and yep. leave. Um, so is it that they had to pray to stay, to know to stay or not, you know? Yeah. How, how did this situation call for them to stay and be bold? And not shake the dust off their feet. not shake the dust off their feet. Yeah, sometimes they do that. But remember, the shaking the dust off their feet from Jesus is a different context. So Jesus is the Messiah. He's coming to proclaim the kingdom of God in all the cities in Judea. So he sends the disciples out to literally do that, to do that job. That wasn't a missionary journey when they were sent out. They were sent out so that their hands, as we were talking about the other day, can be clean. Jesus' hands, God's hands are clean. The gospel has been proclaimed to you. And really what they were, they were heralds when they went out and shook the dust off their feet. So they were going out proclaiming that the kingdom of God is, is here. And so these were the cities that Jesus was going to enter before they went, before he entered those cities to sort of lay the groundwork. So if they're not going to hear you, shake the dust off your feet and move. But now that the cross has been, success, has been successful, the gospel is now going out to the world. Evil has been, the authority of evil has been defeated. <clears throat> I think there, it comes a time now where we do have to press in. And we're going to see Paul say that at the end, through many tribulations, and sufferings, we must enter the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but that doesn't mean getting saved. That means pushing and building in. And the, the kingdom is breaking in through the word and the gospel and the evil forces that are here trying to keep it out. They conflict and there is, it's, there's difficulty with that. So I think that there is a, uh, an element here of giving them the word of God and knowing that you can't really do anything further than that, and knowing when there's a time to turn around and shake the dust off your feet, and uh, other times it's um, 
you know, it's, it's a different context. This is a set Paul and Barnabas apart for the work that I have for them. Go and preach the gospel out here. So I think that's sort of where I would say, that's how I would reconcile that. Does that make, is that helpful? Yeah, I, just, I think also, but also that he, God um, enabled him to perform the signs and wonders, um, you know, confirming his, his message, kind of saying to them, continue, continue on, I'm showing you that I'm, I'm here. That's a great you know, point. So I think you know, that also, you know, if, if nothing else is happening, then I think maybe then you reevaluate. But when you see God working, then you know you're in the right place. Yeah. That's a great point. And it was God. It was the, it was, they spent a long time, uh, it says, speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord. And then it says, who was testifying to the word of his grace. So the Lord was testifying to the words that they were saying, granting that the signs and wonders would be done. It's so important that we understand that the supernatural that we all desire in our flesh to see and we all love to see, too, because it allows us to praise and glorify God when we see miracles happen, when we see prayers being answered. And um, especially when you get into the depths of the, you know, the, 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 the demonic confrontation that we have um, according to the spiritual wickedness that's going on in that unseen realm. But it's always God that has to enable it. And I had a unique phone call this week that I haven't had ever, but a guy called and asked if we did deliverance. I said, well, it's not listed as one of our features on our website. What do you mean by deliverance? You know, and he felt that he was, he was seriously possessed by demons. He said that he saw them come into his body and there's a lot more to it. So we have to pray for him. His name is Giovanni. And, um, and so uh, I said, you know, we were going back and forth, but he was very much um, concerned about us or the church or finding the right people that could deliver him from this, this demonic possession. And one of the first things I said is like, it's not us. It's not me. It's not a certain church. It's the Lord that has to deliver you from this. Um, and, and so... The first thing that, you know, you do in that situation, what I recommended is uh, after I spoke to Pastor Frank, because he deals with the stuff all the time um, in the circles that he that he ministers to, is that the person has to repent of their sin, has to acknowledge and repent of their sin because it's an authoritative. It's an authoritative. It's a judicial realm that we are operating in. We have to remember that everything that has to do with our salvation Everything is based upon God's character, which from, from that, exp- out of his character, exp- is there's an expression of justice. There's, an, a, there's a judicial, uh, uh, forensic even, um, uh, platform that God deals on. That's why Jesus said, all authority is now given to me. So that legal authority that Satan had over the earth is now given to God. It doesn't mean there's no more evil, there's no more this, there's no more that. So I believe that we could give authority, especially when we worship idols, we give authority to that idol to have power over our life and we suffer in sin and we struggle and we can't get out of it and we can't, we don't repent, we don't acknowledge it and agree with God. I I know I'm sort of going off a little bit here, but my point is, is that it's God who has to do the deliverance according to his word. He's the one that does the miracles. He's the one that is going to heal somebody if it be his will. 
He's the one that's going to put the power of the Holy Spirit upon you. And so they're relying upon the Lord, and God here is granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. Now, I know that was a lot. I threw a lot at you. Does anybody have any questions about that? Does anybody need deliverance? Come on up. And I'm just kidding. It's not a joke. Well, it's not a joke. Just kidding. Chris, you were giving me the uh, stink eye. No. Yeah. <laughs> you were giving me the stink eye. No, no, he said deliverance. I didn't know what he was talking about. Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't either at first. It took a while to... But we could pray for him. And, um, I was talking about, do you show the movie? Or... <laughs> no, yeah, the movie Deliverance. <laughs> With Burt Reynolds and uh, Robert Duvall, was it? Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, um, keep him in prayer. He's going to Brooklyn Tuesday um, to, 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 uh, to, to try to meet with some Christians up there. And then I said for him to call us when he gets back, and hopefully we can get him to come in and we can pray for him and pray over him. But we should all be praying for him as well. Because from what I did, from what I spoke to him, I really believe he's sincere and he's not wacky. He's not like he's involved in some serious, serious, dark, dark, dark sin. Um, and he's, he feels like he's uh, in bondage. But anyway, keep him in prayer. But let's go down a little bit. So, so um, at, when they attempted, uh, when, and when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers, this is verse 5, to mistreat them and stone them, they became aware of it and they fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derbe, and, and the surrounding region there, and they continued to preach the gospel. It's about 18 miles away. So they're here in Ant- Ant- uh, Antioch, Pisidia. They go to Iconium where all this stuff just happened. They go down a little bit to Lystra, then they go back, they go to Derby, and then they're going to go back and backtrack through their whole journey now, through the rest of 14, to get back to, uh, to, to Antioch, to talk, which, is the cool, which is the hub at the time. The church at Antioch was the, the largest church at the time, and um, it was, uh, I, I would say, the largest outside of Jerusalem, probably. But at Lystra, there was a man sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb. He had never walked. And this man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he fixed his gaze on him, he had seen that he had faith to be made well. And said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. This is where we get the phrase leap of faith. And he leaped up and began to walk. So how do we deal with that? Yeah, I thought it's all God. How does Paul know that he had enough faith to do? I don't know. He looked at him. The Bible says, what? He fixed his gaze on him and he saw that. Maybe he was sitting there just, you know, he had the look. He knew. You know that look? You know, like right now, if I ask a question, there's some of you here that just completely turn, you know, and there's others of you like Jerry, who I could see he's baited. He wants to answer that question. You know, just by looking at him, I can see his enthusiasm. I can see his faith. I can see that. Just please call on me. And it's probably something like that. I think he saw that he had faith. 
He was probably desperate. He was probably listening to every word Paul had said. He was probably, Paul probably couldn't shake his stare off of him. And then probably the Holy Spirit spoke to Paul and said, that's the guy. I think the key is he's looking at him. He's really looking. And that's what I, I was going to say. Yeah, when we, like, how many times do we walk down the street and try not to look at it? Especially in the city, you know. Yeah. Try not to look at anyone. Mm. I was also, it, I just had this memory. Chris and I led this children's ministry in our church up in Bridgewater. And I remember the kids that were there ranged from, what was it, second to third to sixth grade, second to sixth grade, I forget. And um, one of the boys from the church was bringing his friend who the little girl came from a family of atheists. Her parents were atheists. And I was, um, it was a mix of kids there, um, church, and then this uh, friends of theirs. And the little, I'm teaching the story of Zacchaeus and how yeah. he's, uh, you know, the wee little guy, yeah. that one. And so um, I remember telling them the story and then asking them um, how would you feel if Jesus looked at you you know you're trying to follow him and you can't see and then you climb up and you just want to get a glimpse and um, you know and then he, he there he is passing by you finally you're, you're seeing him and then he stops right where you are he looks at you and he wants to have a meal with you mm. right? and so the kids of the church were like happy and you know the, the and the little girl the whole time I, I can see her like looking at me with such intensity and then she was like I would be shocked shocked yeah like yeah. she totally got yeah more just a deeper as a humble view the, of it too yeah the, not that the other little kids were wrong they knew Jesus sure. already so the relationship was different I think like yeah you know but hers was like she was blown away by that. that that's account. awesome. So I, I think that that's what it was. Like she had this, like, mm-hmm. maybe that's what it was. Like this, yep. this look, this intensity of really paying attention. And then the Holy Spirit speaks to you and you know, like, yeah, they're, they're getting it. Let's, yeah, and the meat on this, the meat on the bones here is that this man truly had faith. So Paul saw his look that he had faith. And so, so many times, you know, I know for me, I get, I, I get confused about that, you know, like, well, it's all God and I don't want to ever trust in me and my faith. I don't want to just try to crank up the faith, you know, start to stir it up and I, because I feel like then I'm like, well, no, I want to completely rely on God. But then there's other times where we see and we read in the scriptures that, that there is a direct relation to God's moving in our life. With faith, And I'm not just talking about faith to believe in Christ, because we know that that faith, for as by grace you've been saved uh, through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. So the gift of God is the grace and the faith. That faith is the conduit where God works through to us, and he gives it to us. He gives us all a measure of faith, all a measure of faith. There's, none, there's no believer that doesn't have at least a measure of faith. So I want to, um, you know, I want to challenge you to not be discouraged to have faith. Faith is being certain in what you hope for and sure, or sure in what you hope for and certain in what you do not see. 
So faith is believing that God can do what he has promised to do in his word. And so if you're asking the Lord right now for help in an area of your life, if you're asking the Lord for healing, if you're asking the Lord for, um, for him to get rid of a sin in your life or for him to say yes or for, for, for him to help you get over this insurmountable obstacle that's maybe in your job or in your marriage or in your relationships or whatever, have faith that God will do it and don't turn away. Just know that he is able to do it and that he will do it according to his will when he is ready. And then that person that's in that situation encounters a Paul and he stares at him. That's what Paul saw. Like that, all of that somehow was communicated to Paul. And it was by God's grace that, that it happened. I think you can see... In the story of uh, Jesus healed the man who had been blind from birth. Yeah. And um, and then the inner reaction to that. So, like, there's no explanation for that. So, but you know that God gives the faith to the people that are have faith in Jesus because of that. Because then the the religious leaders are interrogating that guy's parents and yeah. him. He doesn't even know who did it. Right. Yeah. He doesn't know who did it. And he said, and neither did uh, they they because they were criticizing him. And he's and he they. He's, the conversation was, you know, where did he come from? This Jesus, where did he come from? Yeah. The blind man said, who's not by any means known to be trained or anything, says, you don't know where he comes from, yet you, you know, this is what you're saying. Right. And then, uh, and, and then, uh, then Jesus seeks him out later. He, then he gets cast out. Yes. For being healed. Yeah. On the Sabbath, yeah. The only way that, in the his logic is, well, God must have done this because... If it wasn't from God, then it couldn't be done. Right, that's right. And, and then, uh, and then, when he see, sees Jesus, finally Jesus reveals himself to him, and he believes. But mm. the, that shows the same rea- the same thing, the reactions of no faith at all, and and faith. Yeah. And so the difference is, got to come from the Lord because it's the same uh, exposure to God to multiple people. Yeah. Some reject God, some accept Him. Yep. Very good. Anyone else have a comment? Hi, Ms. Vivian. How are you? Um, now we come to a, <clears throat> an interesting incident. After this happens, <clears throat> the people start to try to worship Paul and Barnabas. They think Barnabas is Zeus, and they think Paul is Hermes, and they go down to the temple. They get the priest the, the, you know, the, of the, the, the Greek gods. 13, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, and they just hurried up and they brought oxen and they brought garlands and they wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowd. And Paul and Barnabas tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, saying, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you would turn from these vain things to the living God. And so this is, you know, we see a lot of <clears throat> people worship, you know, and uh, if you watch, if you have um, cable or direct TV or whatever it is that you have and you go start and you go to the Christian stations, a lot of the Christian television stations are people flocking in these other countries, especially to a man or a woman that's going to heal them and they're pressing in and and 
a lot of times, unfortunately, they'll receive this. And, they'll, and, you know, we all know that there's a lot of false doctrine out there. There's a lot of false things going on. But the point is, is that <clears throat> the, human, the, the humans made in the image of God were not made to receive worship. We are not made to receive worship. If you, when you see people, think of the celebrities that you've, that you've seen that receive so much worship to the point, I don't know if you've ever been around when like a, like a, a celebrity was somewhere and the way that people, some people react to that, they just go crazy, right? And they'll be just rushing these people and these people will receive that. And, and unfortunately, the more that they receive Worship, because the human made in the image of God is not able, is not made for worship. We are made to worship. It starts to it starts to deteriorate our soul. It starts to deteriorate our spirit. It starts to corrupt our mind. And unfortunately, instead of if you're if you don't know Christ, and even if you do, sometimes people still receive that worship because of how lust works. It's never fulfilled. If you're caught up in lust, what happens is, is you say, well, I just want more and more and more to, to, if I just get a little bit more, then I'll be okay. If I just get a little bit more worship, then that'll satisfy me. And it ends up imploding people. And that's why I believe we see a lot of celebrities that receive this worship and they end up, their lives end up crashing and burning. Because they, were, they just continue to do things more and more and more that causes more and more of that worship. And instead of turning it and reflecting it, pulling out that mirror and getting that worship and going, nope, I'm angling it up to the Lord. Praise him. It's his glory that I'm a great athlete. It's his glory that I'm a, a well-known singer. It's his glory. And then using that to build for the kingdom. And so... Paul and Barnabas here see that. I mean, they don't quite see it like we just did in our context, but they're just like, this is completely opposite of what we're trying to do. It is the polar opposite of worshiping God is worshiping man. And that's what Satan does. He takes something made that God has made for good and he turns it inward and he allow, and he, and he takes it and he makes it uh, a sin. And so that's what we're seeing here. <clears throat> Man receiving this glory is very, very destructive. And so they preach a little bit to these guys. Notice there's a different message here. He says, God, he says, look, you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways. And yet he did not leave himself without a witness in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. That's a big deal back then because that's what people lived for and worked for was just to be able to survive. If it didn't rain, you didn't eat sometimes. If it was a drought, you know, it, you know, we sit there and we'll go, oh man, our bank account may be getting a little bit low. Oh man, we got to be careful and save our money. But imagine having absolutely nothing and depending upon the rain. You know, he's appealing to the Gentiles. So as he appealed to the Jews with the language and the scriptures, now he's appealing to the Gentiles. 
And so <clears throat> even after saying these things with difficulty, they restrain the crowds from offering sacrifice. But then here come, it's like, here come the Jews from where? From Antioch and Iconium. So they're, they're chasing them down here. They're, they're, the Jews are going, let's not just let them go from city to city. Let's create a, let's get a crowd and let's follow these guys and let's rain on their parade everywhere they go. Take people down too to, to persecute Christians before yeah. Jesus called him. That's right. Paul was going house to house. Aunt, you have something? Uh, no. Oh, okay. So the Jews come from Antioch and Iconium and have won over the crowds. I like this just subtle reference. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. Stoning is a brutal way to die. Um, we think of, you know, when people, when we think of stoning, you probably, from the movies, you know, they pick up these little stones and they, they the rocks that are the size of your hand. But really, the, the way that the rocks are in, in this part of the world, they're big. They're like this. Big, giant rocks. So they would stone you with, like, cinder blocks, size rocks, not everyone, but that's what the majority of these rocks were. So it had to be a miraculous thing here for Paul not to die. And that's why uh, we Christians, sometimes we focus on little things that happen, yeah. and stop, but he didn't stop. Mm-hmm. Even with that big storm, he yeah. Gone. <laughs> yeah. So he gets right back up. Yeah. So. What are some of the qualities that, that that Paul had there as a Christian? Perseverance. Perseverance. The same faith. The same faith. 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 Yep. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. I would too, I would add to that, that this man knew what his mission was Mm -hmm. in life. He was like Drago, right? In Rocky Four. If he dies, he dies. (laughs) I'm going forward. I'm focused. What's that? About himself. himself. Right. Right. If I die, I die. This is what I'm here for on earth. I'm I'm here to go out and and spread the word of God. And I have to tell you, like, there's there's, um, a lot of, there's so much anxiety and frustration uh, in not knowing where you're going. There's nothing worse than saying, I don't know what I want. Where am I going? What am I doing in my life? You know, and people will live years in that situation where they're just sort of wandering from thing, maybe from job to job or from idea to idea, and they just don't have a purpose. And they just, and that to me is torturous. I would much rather have a a very specific purpose, which God has given all of us. Christ has given us all a very specific purpose. We should all be. Rejoice in the fact that we know what our life is about. And yes, if trials and tribulations come, then we have to keep going because that we don't change our purpose because then we end up like that other category I just explained. And that's what happens. A lot of times when we have a purpose in life and in even, in, even in our Christian walk, we feel like God has given us a calling and we hit a roadblock and we go, oh, must not be it, must be wrong, right? And we, instead of, Instead of going through that obstacle or over that obstacle or around that obstacle, we turn around and we go back. We might we question it. Don't question your calling. 
When you know that your calling is sure, you continue to move forward. You continue to get up. And look, the disciples stood around him. You know, he got up and entered the city. He had his brothers and sisters around him. The next day he went to Barnabas, with Barnabas to uh, Derby, And then after that, they preached the gospel to that city. And they made many disciples. And then they're backtracking now to Lystra, to Iconium, to Antioch and Pisidia, which is this Antioch here. So they're all, they're still floating around in here. Okay. And then we get to the famous saying, she was strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. And saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. What does that mean? That in order to get saved, you have to be able to overcome? I don't think that's what it means. In this world, we will have trouble. Right? Finish it up. Whether we're... But take heart. Well, yeah, Jesus says overcome. I've overcome the world, Jesus said. But doesn't mean we won't have the trouble. Right. See, this very. See, this is where, for me, eschatology is so important to understand. And it doesn't mean you have to have it all figured out because I don't think any of us really do. But we do have what the Scripture tells that we know what it tells us, and it says that the kingdom of God is here, and that Jesus has launched that kingdom initiative. And so. We have to understand that, and I sort of said some of this already, but I'll, I'll repeat it again, is that the kingdom of God, Jesus is the first fruits and the apostles, the church. It's the first fruits of the kingdom. Jesus is the firstborn of the new creation. He is that first fruits, right, of that resurrection. And Jesus is the, is the model of what's happening to all those who believe in him, and what's happening to the world. He's the model for that. He's renewing and restoring and redeeming through his people. And that's the concept. How does he do that? And why? Because he is now in all authority and the kingdom is now in effect. Now, what does that kingdom mean again? The kingdom means God's rule, God's authority bearing down on this present world. So through many tribulations, as that kingdom and God's authority is breaking into this present age and renewing it and transforming it, we are going to encounter many sufferings, many trials, and many tribulations in that battle. So as it's breaking in, we are going to have to fight in battle. This isn't a, through many tribulations, we must get saved, although... Sometimes God allows tribulations to get us saved and to convert us. But as a believer, you have to know that it's not all peachy keen, you know, walking through and smelling the roses and we're going to go off. That's not how it goes. You are here to do battle. You're here to do battle. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, powers, the powers and spiritual uh, wickedness in dark places. The spiritual forces is what is behind the world system. And the kingdom of God is coming right up against it. Jesus said the gates of hell will not be able to stand up against it. That's an offensive sort of militant talk what's going on in the spiritual world. So bring it down to your own life. 
And your own life is so critically important to the kingdom of God. Jesus said, you're either with me or against me. Anybody that grabs and puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Because if you're looking back on the battlefield, you're going to get caught. You're going to get, you're going to get shot. You're going to get clipped. <laughs> you got to keep your eyes focused and keep moving forward. Know whose you are. You are Christ. Know that your king is on the throne. Know that your life in this world is effectively being used to build for that kingdom. But it's up to God on how, and it's up to God how long you're here. It's up to God to what he has for you. Our job is to shake off that weight, every single weight on our back, every sin that so easily besets us, and continue to move forward. I believe that's what he's talking about here, about many tribulations entering the kingdom of God. So when they had pointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And then they passed through Pisidia. Here's the backtrack. They came into Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there, they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. How cool is it when you accomplish something for the Lord? Like when you know, and, and so much, here's the thing is that I don't like to talk a lot about that because I think that God gives us a fraction of a peek into what it is we're actually accomplishing in our life. And I think we're going to be shocked with joy in the resurrection when we see how God used some of the most, what we thought were mundane things, some of the most surface relationships, some of the fewest words we've spoken to someone, or maybe it was an encounter with someone on the street. Maybe it was a a hamburger that you bought for that homeless guy that turned his heart or that gospel track that you handed out. Or that one person that came to church one time and then left and you said, oh, they must not have liked it here. But you, you spoke a word to them. And so you've, you're going to see what you've accomplished. But, but, but God wants to give you that, a taste of that now. So get out there and work for the Lord. Let him, see, let, let him work through your life. And when you get to the point when you see how the, how the grace of God has, has worked, You'll be like in verse 27. They have arrived and gathered the church together. They began to report all the things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door to, of faith to the Gentiles and they spent a long time with the disciples. How do we do that when they have arrived? I, I, I think of our congregation meeting, like the, the one that we have next month where we report everything that's going on. You know, we should really be excited about that. Like God is working through this little tiny fellowship in Freehold, New Jersey. He's got all these, all of us doing little different things here and there. And what do we do? We encourage each other when we come to these congregation meetings, forget whatever meeting it is. And we hear about the work that God's doing with our missions, right? With evangelism, with our child ministry, with solutions, with all these little things that, you know, they seem seemingly, oh, just small little things. But God is using it, and it encourages people to hear that, and it should encourage you as well. 
So that's pretty much all I have. Does anybody have anything to add or any maybe application that you think that we could encourage us with here? Any, uh, anything? Yeah. They all, so they had they had gone with them. Yeah. But they were able to rejoice with them. They were part of that as well. Staying, right. I mean, praying for them, I imagine. Yeah. You know, keeping them in, in prayer and lifting them up. And I think Elvira has often said that in some class she took, some missionary class with the missionaries, or they say that out there, out there, we're holding the rope. Yeah. Something. Some go down in the well and some hold the rope. Yeah. Yeah. Encouraging when you know that others are out there, you know. That's yeah. So like we talked Wednesday night was it about Samuel and uh, or about King David, right? When he um, came back from fighting uh, from fighting with the Philistines, and his whole entire camp was ravaged, and then he prayed to God and said, "The Lord, should, should, should I go and attack the Amalekites?" And he said, "Yes, go do it." And then when he came back, he got all the spoil that they stole and he brought it back and all the soldiers got mad because that went with him and fought because he split evenly the spoil with those that stayed with the baggage and those that went to war. And David said, and it's, it's a scripture, it's, I think he says, you know, those that stay with the baggage get rewarded as much as those that got out on the battlefield. And so it's a, every little, everybody is important in the kingdom of God. There's no, like, Paul, like even God says the most insignificant, seemingly insignificant parts of the body are the most important sometimes. So anyway, to, to, to circle back, yes, report those things. And on Wednesday nights when we have, our, we have our meetings here, oftentimes we like to go around and say, hey, give us, you know, somebody talk about what the Lord has done, Some, something powerful or a praise report and you know, give us a report. So if you have something, even something little, you know, maybe it's a, it's a small little conversation you had with someone, or maybe it's a prayer that you prayed for someone and God answered it in a certain way. Bring it to these meetings, bring it to Wednesday, bring it to Sunday, share it. I would love to hear it. And everybody else would be, would love to hear it too and be encouraged. All right. So that, with that said, we'll close.